This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Welcome to the Humanist Report. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 68th episode of the Humanist Report podcast. Today is Friday, November 11th, and this is the first post-election episode, and I was expecting the craziness to stop but it's just beginning here, so I am here to fill you in on what the hell happened. So before we get started, however, I have several people to thank that decided to join the independent progressive media revolution. First, we have an anonymous individual to thank for submitting a donation. We also have to thank Carolyn Stark, Vicious Syndicate Gaming, Laura Smith, Jesse Rodriguez, Christian Ort, and Matthew Nyholt. So all of these individuals either signed up to become a member on humanistreport.com, uh, they are supporting us through Patreon, or they simply submitted a one-time donation through PayPal. So if you two would like to join these individuals, you can visit the links down below in the description box, or if you'd like to support the show for free, you can do that easily by liking the videos that I post, or by sharing our videos, or simply by whitelisting us on Adblock, or using our Amazon link to shop. So today's episode will be about the aftermath of the shocking conclusion to the craziest election perhaps in American history, certainly the craziest election that we'll all most likely witness. So I'll be discussing where progressives won and lost across the country, looking at ballot initiatives and which Bernie Kratz won and lost. Also, I'll talk about Bernie Sanders' reaction to this mess that Hillary Clinton and Democrats created, as well as the reaction from Hillary Clinton's campaign and corporate media. And also, We'll talk about who Democratic Party loyalists are trying to blame for this disaster of an election. So all of these topics and more will be discussed. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So Bernie Sanders, let's face it, he probably wasn't too surprised that Donald Trump won. He knew that Donald Trump would be a disaster. He tried to warn Democrats and they didn't listen to him. Uh, and now they're paying for it. So Bernie Sanders is not only just back to his old self, but he's saying everything that he wants to say, and I love it. So we have Bernie Sanders on steroids. Uh, and think about this. We will never have to suffer through watching Bernie Sanders' campaign for Hillary Clinton ever again. That's over. Oh, that feels good. So <laughs> Bernie Sanders was asked what he thought about Donald Trump winning. Take a look. Well, for also asking questions, I talked to a top advisor to Bernie Sanders, uh, asking him for his comment, and they said, we have nothing polite to say right now. So, you know, if I could be a fly on the wall in Bernie Sanders' house watching this election kind of crash down in front of the Democratic establishment, I would love to hear that because, you know, he's, he's saying exactly what we're all thinking, right? But he doesn't want to say it publicly because... He probably has some pretty harsh words, and I'm just saying for myself, I think that it's probably good that I delayed this episode because I'm still pissed. I'm angry. You know, uh, I, I'm fired up, though, more than ever, more than ever. Uh, so, yeah, I, I probably don't have very much nice things to say as well, and I'm trying to be an adult here, but the truth is I'm pissed because the establishment ruined it for us. Now, more reaction to... Uh, Donald Trump's victory. So Bernie Sanders called it an embarrassment for the country, and he told the Associated Press, there was a lack of enthusiasm among Democrats and people just did not come out to vote. Now, he also offered this warning to Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders will oppose any attempt to pursue racist, sexist, xenophobic, and anti-environment policies. Absolutely. And if the Democrats really do want to win, they're going to have to look to him 
for leadership because he's the only one with his finger on the pulse of America. Now, I want to share with you guys a chart courtesy from Reddit user Dino Ignacio that illustrates exactly what happens when you try to force a corporatist, Wall Street-backed, warmongering candidate down our throats. So you see a huge turnout for Democrats in 2008. You see that decline significantly in 2012 when we realized that Barack Obama wasn't the progressive he claimed to be, but many of us still voted for him, hoping that he would really turn into a true progressive during his second term since he didn't have to worry about re-election and that was not the case and then you put forth just the embodiment of corporatism in the United States and your own base didn't come out to support you and it's not just because Hillary Clinton you know she wasn't a desirable candidate it was because she shunned the base the individual that screwed Democrats out of the real electable candidate, Bernie Sanders, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Hillary Clinton hired her immediately. She didn't try to heal the divide that was within the Democratic Party. They like to talk about how Republicans are divided with Trump. They're not divided. Democrats are divided. You have a split between centrist and center-left Democrats and progressives, and they just didn't see it. They were completely oblivious to it, and we tried to warn them a thousand different times, and they just wouldn't listen. They thought they knew it all. And it is biting them in the ass so hard, so hard. And another uh, area where she could have tried to uh, heal the divide that the Democratic Party is seeing is to choose a progressive VP. Pick Bernie. Pick Elizabeth Warren. I know many of us were frustrated with Elizabeth Warren's silence during the primary, but I mean, that would have made you exponentially more appealing, Hillary Clinton. And I don't know if it would have been enough to help you win, but it certainly would have helped you a little bit more at least. Bernie Sanders, he really is a true progressive. Not only does he have the record, but he knows what's going on in the country. Again, Democrats, if you want to win, if you want to take back the House, if you want to take back the Senate, listen to Bernie Sanders because this corporatism, uh, you know, the, the warmongering, those days are over. The days of centrist Democrats are over. Now, you need to step aside. It's time for the rise of progressives. So people like Donna Brazil, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Hillary Clinton, these are all DNC goons that you can now thank for a President Trump. Now what they try to do is they try to rig the primary, they try to divide the base, divide and conquer, and they didn't think it would catch up with them. They did this so they can help themselves, presumably because they would have been rewarded with a spot on Hillary Clinton's administration. Well, that backfired tremendously, and now... There's hell to pay. So according to the Huffington Post, on Thursday, Democratic Party officials held their first staff meeting since Hillary Clinton's stunning loss to Donald Trump in the presidential race. It didn't go well. Donna Brazil, the interim leader of the Democratic National Committee, was giving what one attendee described as a rip-roaring speech to about 150 employees about the need to have hope for wins going forward, when a staffer identified only as Zach stood up with a question. Why should we trust you as chair to lead us through this, he asked, according to two people in the room. You backed the flawed candidate, and your friend, former DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz, plotted through this to support your own gain and yourself. 
Some DNC members started to boo, and some told him to sit down. Brazil began to answer, but Zach had more to say. You're part of the problem, he continued, blaming Brazil for clearing the path for Trump's victory by siding with Clinton early on. You and your friends will die of old age, and I'm going to die from climate change. You and your friends let this happen, which is going to cut 40 years off of my life expectancy. Zach gathered his things and began to walk out. When Brazil called after him, asking where he was going, he told her to go outside and tell people there why she should be leading the party. Two DNC staffers confirmed the exchange. Asked for comment, Brazil said in an email, As you can imagine, the individual involved is a member of the staff and I personally do not wish to discuss our internal meeting. Yeah, I bet you don't because you probably were embarrassed and you should be embarrassed. If Donna Brazil is seriously thinking that she's going to continue to be the DNC chair after, after the shenanigans that she pulled, you're out of your mind. And let me just say this to the staffers that were booing Zach, leave. We don't need you there. We don't need you there. If you couldn't see that the writing was on the wall, if you couldn't see how bad the DNC was to its own supporters and how that would backfire, you have no business being in the DNC. None whatsoever. It's time for you to leave. Now, what he said there was really poignant. He said that you and your friends will die of old age. I'm going to die from climate change. <sighs> That's the sad reality is that anyone who's a millennial right now, we don't know what our golden years, our so-called golden years are going to be like. We don't know all of the consequences that will come to fruition due to climate change. We don't know how this will affect the weather, what types of new diseases will emerge once the ice caps melt. We don't know how high exactly the sea level will rise. We don't know. And now we can brace for the worst case scenario because of the selfishness of people like Donna Brazil, because of the selfishness of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, because of the selfishness of Hillary Clinton. See, narcissism and hubris and having an oversized ego has a price. You thought that you can do anything you wanted, but I've got news for you. This is a democracy. This is not an authoritarian regime. You don't have free reign to do whatever you want, and actions have consequences, and you must now be held accountable. Anyone associated with Hillary Clinton, their career should be over. Donna Brazil, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, you're done. Your career should be over. Go home, retire. But Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she's going to continue on. Uh, Donna Brazil, she'll probably go back to CNN. No. It's time for you to retire. You messed up badly. You gave us a President Trump. That's your fault. That's on your hands. You're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life because of what you did. And the base did not come out to support your corruption. That's your fault. That's your fault. Now live with it and take accountability for it. Step down. Don't even try to run. Don't give us any bullshit about you trying to be the permanent chair, Donna. No way. You and Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Hillary Clinton should be complete and utterly ashamed of yourself. And any other disgusting member of the Democratic establishment should just be embarrassed. Their career should be over. People like Kristen Gillibrand, people like Chuck Schumer should step down and just allow for a re-election in their state. That's how disgraced they are. But they won't do that because, again, I don't think they can learn from something like this right away. It's going to take multiple defeats for them to actually see that uh, the way that you're doing business as usual will not work. It won't work. So 
you know, thanks for Trump, Donna and Debbie and Hillary. Hope it was worth it. Former presidential candidate in 2004 turned lobbyist Howard Dean is fired up because Hillary Clinton lost, Donald Trump won, and now he is ready for a fight. So what is he doing? He is calling for a new DNC chair. Now, I agree with him. I'm on board with that because we cannot allow the corrupt Donna Brazil to be the permanent DNC chair if we ever want to win again. So he's calling for a new DNC chair, but the problem is who he wants to be the new DNC chair. So, whose name is he putting <laughs> in the ring? His own. So, The Hill explains, Howard Dean announced Thursday that he will run to be chairman of the Democratic National Committee for a second time. The Dems need organization and focus on the young, need a 50-state strategy and tech rehab. I am in for chairman again, Dean tweeted Thursday afternoon. No. 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 Mm -mm. No. 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 Hell no. 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 Your time is up, Howard Dean. Okay, you were one of the biggest cheerleaders for Hillary Clinton, and you made an ass of yourself during the 2016 election cycle. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Do you want Democrats to never win again? We don't like you. We don't like you. Go away. We're just not that into you, Howard Dean. If you honestly think that a lobbyist who was a symbol of the establishment's corruption that embodies everything wrong with American politics will put the Democratic Party on the right track to win, you're just straight up delusional. I mean, I don't mean to be a prick here, but you're just delusional. We don't want you. Do you honestly think a lobbyist is a good look for the DNC right now. You guys probably have the lowest approval rating in history when it comes to the DNC's performance. We don't know it, you know, we haven't taken polls, but just guarantee you're not very liked right now. So do you honestly think a lobbyist is going to restore the image of the DNC and restore the Democratic brand? I don't think so. Go away. Now, thankfully, the new leader of the Democratic Party, Bernie Sanders, regardless if you guys want to acknowledge that or not, he is the new leader. Democrats, pay attention. Uh, he has something to say about that. He is putting forth his own choice, and that individual is a true progressive. So according to The Hill, Senator Bernie Sanders is endorsing Representative Keith Ellison of Minnesota to be the next chairman of the Democratic National Committee. Ellison, the first Muslim elected to Congress, was an early supporter of Sanders during the primary bid. Now, here's the best part of the story. Keith Ellison is down. He would do it. So the co-chairman of the Congressional Progressive Caucus has expressed interest in the DNC chairmanship for some time. And according to a report from Politico, Ellison had previously reached out to Hillary Clinton, campaign officials and state party chairman. I am 100% on board with this. I think he would make an excellent DNC chair, not only because he's a true progressive, he will put the Democratic Party back on a path to where it belongs and make them the party of the working people again, but he knows how important neutrality is. You don't want to piss off the base by being one-sided. So if he's the DNC chair and he actually remains neutral, and I think he will because he knows how important that is in 2020, that would be a great start for Democrats to redeem them 
themselves. And also, he has foresight that nobody else had. Take a look. All I want to say is that anybody uh, well, from the Democratic side of the fence who, who uh, thinks that, who's, who's terrified of the possibility of, of, of President Trump, better vote, better get active, better get involved, because this man has got some uh, momentum, and uh, we better be ready for the fact that he might be leading the Republican ticket. Next, <laughs> I know you don't believe that, but I want to go on. <laughs> Keith Ellison, this would be a phenomenal choice. This would be a great start. This would make me more inclined to join the Democratic Party again because I'm currently an independent and I'm going to stay there unless there's a true progressive to vote for in 2020. Uh, Keith Ellison is a huge step in the right direction. Make him the DNC chair. There should be no question about this. Keith Ellison must be the new DNC chair if you guys want to win. Now, you can help. There are petitions that you can sign. I will put links to Bernie's petition and an additional petition from Move On. Uh, sign that petition. We need to make a lot of noise now. And let the Democratic Party know that we're done with corporatist Democrats. Put forth a progressive like Keith Ellison, and you may get us back. But until then... Mm -mm. I'm voting green again in 2020 unless you guys do the right thing. Give us a progressive and make the DNC actually progressive. Allow them to be neutral again. Don't just bias it in favor of the candidates that you like because they will be more aligned with your corporate donors' interests. Not acceptable. Keith Ellison would be a perfect DNC chair. Yeah! Never gonna get it, 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 never gonna get it. So political pundits in the corporate media just can't comprehend why their candidate lost, especially after spending months colluding with her and doing propaganda for her and trying to attack and destroy her political opponents. They just can't fathom it. How the hell could she have lost? Well, there's one so-called progressive who knows who to blame? And Rachel Maddow is claiming that there is a very clear person or persons who we have to uh, place blame on for the success of Trump. She states, well, it is what it is. People go into this eyes wide open, Maddow said during MSNBC's election night coverage. If you vote for somebody who can't win for president, it means that you don't care who wins for president. And Chris Matthews chimed in saying, that's what I think. So I'm going to give Rachel Maddow and Chris Matthews a really hard pill to swallow. You ready? You're wrong. So when you look at turnout trends among Democratic voters throughout the years, it's clear that Hillary Clinton's own base just didn't come out to support her. And that's because they don't want to support a corrupt establishment stooge of Wall Street that loves war. And not only is Rachel Maddow and Chris Matthews wrong for making this statement, but they actually owe Jill Stein and Gary Johnson an apology. But here's another fact that will blow their minds. Without Gary Johnson and Jill Stein there to act as a buffer between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, do you know what would have happened? Donald Trump would have won by an even larger margin because the people who supported Gary Johnson, they're conservative. Most of them were either independents or were conservatives who did not support Donald Trump. So without Gary Johnson, they probably would have voted for Donald Trump. So Gary Johnson helped Hillary Clinton in many ways. And that's why many Republicans were saying, look, if you vote for Gary Johnson, that's a vote for Hillary Clinton. Don't do it. So Gary Johnson is not to blame. Now, when it comes to Jill Stein, uh, she also 
helped, not hurt Democrats. Because, you know, you could blame her for splitting the vote between liberals, even though she only got 1% of the vote. And we know this wouldn't be an issue. But Hillary Clinton, she just depressed the base. She wasn't an inspiring candidate, even though you guys tried to tell us that she was inspiring and tried to force us to be inspired by this corporatist. She wasn't an inspiring candidate. So the base stood home. However, Jill Stein gave many liberals someone to vote for. So when we voted for Jill Stein, do you want to know what else we did? We went and we voted in down-ticket races. And it is the case that, yes, I did vote for Green Party candidates on down-ticket races too, but I also voted Democrat. I kind of went back and forth and looked at the candidates, and I voted for either Green or Democratic candidates. So what I did was I voted for Jill Stein for president, and I voted for Ron Wyden for the U.S. Senate. I voted for a Democratic House member as well. So if you're honestly trying to tell me that Jill Stein was bad for Hillary Clinton, you're wrong because she just didn't pull enough votes away from Hillary Clinton in order to hand the election over to Donald Trump. And again, if you remove Jill Stein and Gary Johnson from this equation, uh, then Donald Trump would have won by a larger margin. But here's what we all have to just learn. You don't have to worry about third party threats if you run a competent candidate to begin with. Jill Stein and Gary Johnson were both their party's nominees in 2012 as well. Zero people knew about them back then. So the fact that we know about them now doesn't show how selfish they are and how stupid voters are. It just shows that you guys messed up by putting forth historically disliked candidates, thus making voters want to migrate to someone else that wants to get out and cast their vote. And when you talk shit about third-party candidates, what are you doing? You're depressing turnout even more. We already have really low turnout when you compare us to other modern industrialized nations. So by blaming voters for supporting third-party candidates, you hurt Democrats in the long run because those who came out to vote for Jill Stein, they would have stayed home if Jill Stein wasn't there or potentially they would have voted for Donald Trump just to give a big middle finger to Democrats. And let me just ask you guys, this you were wrong throughout the entirety of this election cycle you all told us hillary clinton was more electable and this was in spite of the fact that all of the facts were in front of you the entire time and the writing was on the wall but you still chose to not just ignore what progressives were saying you chose to be smug about it and condescending about it and laugh at us well you reap what you sow Who's laughing now? Well, well, the Republicans are laughing now because you helped them win by being stupid uh, and by supporting the historically disliked, flawed, scandal-ridden, corrupt, corporatist candidate. Good job. So again, I just, I just want to say, why should we listen to you now, Rachel Maddow? You are not a progress. You're a so-called progressive. We thought you were progressive, but throughout this election cycle, your true colors were revealed to us. You are just a democratic partisan hack and nothing more. So you don't like when people support third-party candidates because you're supposed to fall in line no matter what. Well, we're telling you we're not going to fall in line if Hillary Clinton is the nominee. You didn't believe us. You said, well, you know, the De Democratic Party was divided in 2008. You know, it was a really contentious race between Clinton and Obama. So the same thing is going to happen. You know, uh, Bernie Sanders millennial supporters are going to fall in line. We told you that we're just going to stay home. You didn't listen. That's your own fault. Don't blame anybody but yourselves and Clinton, of course, for running the worst campaign ever. So right now, Hillary Clinton's team is utterly shocked that they were defeated by the most historically disliked candidate in American history, Donald Trump, because according to them, they did everything right. But apparently that's not the case because they lost. So now what they're having to do is some introspection and think about what went wrong. 
What is it that was conducive to Donald Trump's victory? And as you would have guessed, they're blaming everyone but themselves. Everyone but themselves. So uh, what exactly do they think facilitated the defeat specifically? Quote, sexism, the media, and James Comey. This is not a joke. This is a real story published in Politico. You can read it. I'm not making this up. I know it sounds satirical. This is real. Sexism. Hillary, we didn't like you in 2008. We still don't like you. We rejected you twice. We don't like Clintons. We don't like corporatist Democrats. It's not sexism. We're just not that into you. And for you to complain about the media is the most ironic thing ever. Did you not realize that your donor is Time Warner? They're your ninth largest donor, uh, and they own CNN and MSNBC, and they were doing propaganda for you. Hillary, of all people, well, this is her campaign specifically, but I'm sure she agrees with it. Of all people, you guys cannot claim media bias is why Hillary Clinton lost, because you had an advantage because of media bias. Yes, it is the case that the media is responsible for Trump partially because they gave him $2 billion in free coverage, but they gave you a lot of coverage as well, Hillary Clinton, in comparison with Bernie Sanders, and your coverage was very good. I mean, yeah, you were hold, held to account sometimes, but overall, you had CNN's Chris Cuomo literally lying to the people, making up laws, saying you're, you're not allowed to go through the emails of John Podesta that were released by WikiLeaks. We have to do that. So you have to listen to what we say is in there, and we're telling you there's nothing in there. They admitted that they were doing everything they could to help you out. You had everyone in the corporate media establishment carrying water for you, and you have the audacity to blame the media. Unbelievable. Now, the last thing uh, specifically is James Comey. I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. Again, if you didn't set up the private email server to begin with, this would not be an issue. Elizabeth Warren would not have been harmed by James Comey. Bernie Sanders would not have been harmed by James Comey. Martin O'Malley, Lincoln Chafee even, would not be harmed by, uh, by uh, James Comey. Because they didn't set up private email servers. If you stop doing things that are illegal and against protocol, you wouldn't have to worry about this. But... You have so many scandals that you just can't help yourself, and you can't see that it's you. So political rights on a call with surrogates Thursday afternoon, top advisors John Podesta and Jennifer Palmieri pinned blame for Hillary Clinton's loss on a host of uncontrollable headwinds that ultimately felled a well-run campaign that executed a sensible strategy and a soldier of a candidate who appealed to the broadest coalition of voters in the country. Everything about that is wrong. They shot down questions about whether they should have run a more populist campaign with a greater appeal to angry white voters, pointing to exit polls that showed Clinton beat Trump on the issue of the economy. They offered no apology for the expected loss. Wow. Uh, they are saying that they did nothing wrong, which is ridiculous, said one Clinton surrogate. She was the wrong messenger, and everyone misjudged how pissed working class people were. The issues were crystal clear as early as January 2015, but the campaign thought it could overcome it. Despite being the wrong candidate for the moment, many allies who have helped the campaign for months were still in disbelief that Clinton did not succeed in putting away a man they see as unqualified to serve as commander-in-chief. She got this gift of a complete idiot 
who says bizarre things and hates women and she's still lost, said one longtime Clinton ally and fundraiser. They lost in a race they obviously should have won. They need to take some blame. Clinton's advisors have explained to the stunned candidate that she lost the race of her life in large part due to Comey's October surprise. Most Clinton supporters agreed that was part of it, but it wasn't just that. Others blamed a grab bag of marginal problems that depleted a candidate who had no wiggle room for error. The soaring Obamacare premiums announced last month hurt Clinton, some said. Others questioned the campaign's decision to try and expand the map into red Arizona rather than simply defend the most likely narrow paths to 270 electoral votes. Others blamed Bernie Sanders for poisoning millennial voters who never came back on board. Exit polls showed that Clinton won 56% of voters ages 18 to 24 compared to 66% of the same age group who voted for Barack Obama eight years ago. The sense inside Clinton headquarters on Thursday as aides packed up their desks and munched on free tacos and brownies was that the Democratic nominee did not deserve to lose to a man that only 30% of the country thought was qualified to be president and that it ultimately came down to white working class voters rejecting her because she was a woman. Wow. The extent to which they are clueless is honestly just astounding. She ran a campaign that was bereft of strategy. She divided the base and didn't even try to close the gap that she created, to close the huge division within the Democratic Party. And do I even need to say it? She was just corrupt. She was corrupt. You have the Clinton Foundation. You have her accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars from every single special interest in existence. You have her giving these paid speeches to Wall Street and refusing to release any of the transcripts for them. Not even one. Unbelievable. Now, credit to any of the Clinton surrogates and allies who actually admitted that she just did a terrible job. But the fact that the people closest to her are thinking that it was due to sexism or the media or James Comey. It's honestly baffling to me. I don't know how anyone could be this clueless. And certainly if you are this clueless, you don't deserve a job in politics. It's time for you to retire and do something else. Uh, you know, join the working class, get a job at Taco Bell. Politics just isn't for you. If you can't see why Hillary Clinton lost when it's crystal clear, you have no business directing anyone's campaign. You have no business commenting on politics and what could have been the easiest victory, what should have been the easiest victory in democratic history. You lost to an orange clown because of your stupidity, and now you're not even willing to look in the mirror and see what did we do wrong. It wasn't us. It was everybody else. I mean, this... <laughs> This is exactly how you characterize the entire Clinton campaign. If you don't like me, it's not me. It's you. Uh, if you're not with me because, you know, I'm going to support my donors, then you're the one with the problem. You're sexist. You're a Bernie bro. Again, I'm just honestly, like, I'm reading through this, and I read through it multiple times now, and I'm just shocked. Like, this, this has to be satirical. These people who ran a historically bad campaign, actually think that they did nothing wrong. They thought that they put forward a, quote, soldier of a candidate. They won't apologize for their loss, and they think that they did everything right. <laughs> you can't do anything but laugh at that level of stupidity. Wow. I am winning. I am winning.
So obviously, the presidential race was not the only thing to look out for on Tuesday because across the country, there were many losses for progressives, but we also had some wins. So first of all, I want to talk about the losses so that way we can end on a more positive note because I think that's what people need after this crazy election. So first and foremost, the fact that Republicans control the House and the Senate and the White House now is a huge loss for progressives because whatever regressive policies that they want to implement, they can now do so uh, with little institutional checks on their power. And they also will control the Supreme Court now, uh, perhaps for three to four decades. So if it is the case that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for example, steps down, we have now perhaps a six to three split on the Supreme Court which will be devastating for generations. Now, also, Colorado voted on a single-payer health care system. This was a ballot initiative, and this was big because it could have been a model for the rest of the country, and this was defeated. It lost. Um, so this was really sad to me because if it were the case that Colorado passed this, well, maybe we would see a domino effect. I mean, Colorado was a maverick when it comes to pot legalization, and now we see many more states legalizing marijuana across the country. We now have eight states, I believe, that have legal recreational marijuana. So if they got the ball rolling with single-payer health care, uh, with, with a single-payer health care system, and they showed us that it worked, you would no doubt see it across the country in many other states, and I think that support for a national single-payer system would increase. But unfortunately... This was defeated. Now, also, uh, other prominent Berniecrats lost their races. We had Misty Snow lose the Senate race in Utah. And the one that probably hurt the most was the fact that Zephyr Teachout was defeated. So uh, President Obama took the district that she was running in in both the 28 uh, or 2008, excuse me, and 2012 elections. Uh, and it, we were expecting her to pull off a win. Uh, and unfortunately, that didn't happen because turnout was so low for Democrats. It was depressed because you had someone at the top of the ticket that wasn't inspirational. Now, the reason why we care so much about Zephyr Teachout is because she was an individual that had the potential to maybe run for president. And she's a true progressive. So this was a tough one to swallow, to know that she lost. Now, uh, the biggest loss, I think, of the night was the fact that Green Party presidential candidate Dr. Jill Stein did not receive 5% of the vote. They only pulled in approximately 1%. So that means that they will not receive federal matching funds. So the hopes that we can build a Green Party and help them win more down-ticket races is now dashed. If there was any election where we could have got the Greens to 5%, it was this election, and they pulled in 1%. People just aren't willing to risk it and vote third party. They would rather stay home. So that was really disappointing. Now let's get to the wins because there were some very big victories that we all need to celebrate. Tammy Duckworth, a real progressive, is now a U.S. senator. She defeated Mark Kirk, uh, who is just a gigantic idiot. So this is a phenomenal win for progressives. Also, Pramila Jayapal and Jamie Raskin are now members of the House. Uh, and these are true progressives. Again, Phenomenal win. Now, down-ticket Green Party members won seats in state legislatures across the country. Uh, they won in California, in Florida, in Michigan, in Minnesota. So even though 
Dr. Jill Stein did not reach 5%, we do still see the greens growing albeit much slower than we wanted or hoped for. Now, when it comes to Maine, they voted on an initiative to include ranked choice voting in their state. So you wouldn't be accused of spoiling the election if you voted third party. That passed. So in Maine, we are going to see ranked choice voting, no more arguments against third party candidates, and this could really elevate the Green Party. So this is a phenomenal win, and I was ecstatic when I found out about it. Now also, marijuana won big in this election. So it was on the ballot in five states uh, to be legalized for recreational use, and it won in four out of the five states. So pot is now legal in California, Maine, Nevada, and Massachusetts, and it's already legal in Oregon, Washington, Alaska, and Colorado. So we have eight states where you can get high and not have to worry about being arrested. This is phenomenal. Now, additionally, medical marijuana is now legal in the state of North Dakota, Montana, Arkansas, and Florida. Now, this is just a no-brainer. It should have been legal already, but the fact that they're moving in that direction is great, and it really shows that recreational marijuana is kind of making it easier for medical marijuana to become legal in these really anti-marijuana states. So in the end, you know, with every election, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Overall, I'd say the result of this election was a disaster. We had various wins here and there that helped to lessen the blow but let me just say this, progress moves in one direction, and that's forward. So you may have some setbacks, but it, it, that's not going to change the fact that the future generation of this country, we are against corporatism. We're in favor of pot legalization. We're in favor of protecting the rights of disadvantaged groups. So if you are disappointed now, just know that we're going to win big in the future, and we're not alone. So Many people look at America and see we're behind in so many different ways. We're behind when it comes to our healthcare system and whatnot. But this right-wing populist wave is not just something that is occurring in the United States. It's happening everywhere. It's happening across Europe. There's this movement in Australia. So it's not just us. We're not the only ones going back. But in the end, we will win because younger generations ultimately will have the final say. My only hope is that it's not too late when it comes to issues like climate change, and unfortunately, I think that will be the case because all they can do is kind of filibuster progress for now, uh, and that could be disastrous for the future of our generation. So, you know, in the end, we'll take the wins where we can get them. So the same media outlets that told us that Hillary Clinton was the more electable general election candidate now have the audacity to tell us who, quote, the next most electable general election candidate will be in 2020 to defeat Donald Trump then. And have they learned their lesson at all? I, you could tell by my response. Uh, no, they haven't learned their lesson because their choices are outrageous. They're just laughable. So uh, I'm going to give you the list in no particular order. So first, they floated Kirsten Gillibrand. No. <laughs> So let me remind you about how Kirsten Gillibrand has complete and utterly destroyed her reputation during this election cycle. So she is someone who, as a Clinton surrogate, she said that his gun policies make Bernie Sanders responsible for the deaths of children. She tried to put blood on Bernie Sanders' hands because of his gun policy, because she thought that it would make Hillary Clinton look better and look like the stronger candidate on guns. Despicable. 
That's worse than when Hillary Clinton invoked 9-11 to evade criticism of the money she took from Wall Street. Now, again, Kristen, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, excuse me, she also got into a heated exchange on the Senate floor when Bernie Sanders returned to the Senate after he conceded the nomination to Hillary Clinton because he wouldn't drop out and endorse Hillary Clinton fast enough. He wasn't more supportive of Hillary Clinton. We don't know the details of what was said, but we just know that Bernie Sanders was lambasted by this individual. So uh, let this be no surprise that she is not the right person to put up because if you make her the nominee, I go green again. So their next choice is Cory Booker. Now, prior to this election, he's another person who I would have said, you know, this guy is charismatic. He knows how to speak. Uh, he's on the right side of many issues. However, look at his campaign contributions. He is almost as big as the shill for Wall Street as Hillary Clinton. I mean, he doesn't come close because nobody can be as big as a Wall Street stooge as Clinton. But he's he comes pretty close. And also, uh, do you remember how uh, the DNC and Hillary Clinton's staff tried to destroy Bernie Sanders' campaign by painting him as a racist? Well, Cory Booker is one of the people who tried to float the narrative that Bernie Sanders did not care about African-American voters because in his state of Vermont, Bernie Sanders did nothing about the fact that uh, many African-Americans are in jail. They have one of the highest mass incarceration rates in the country. Bernie Sanders is not a governor of Vermont. He's the senator. Unbelievable. So if you put forth Cory Booker, I go green again. Another person is Chris Murphy. Chris Murphy is someone who does not have the spine to fight for a public option. So not only is he in favor of allowing people to lose their insurance as Obamacare inevitably collapses and now it's on the road to be repealed by Republicans, he wasn't even willing to fight for a public option. So I think that having single payer is a necessity, but if you're not going to have that, at a minimum, you need a public option. He's too afraid to fight for it. You think he's going to be the best person to defeat Trump? You put him forward, I go green again. We also have John Hinkenlooper. He's the only person who might actually love fracking more than Hillary Clinton. So we're going to have to wait four years before we take any action on climate change. And at the first opportunity that we'll get to try to mitigate climate change, you're going to put forth a pro-fracking candidate. It's just stupid. Another person. Michelle Obama. Now, Michelle Obama, out of all these choices, is the most tolerable one. And if Michelle Obama were the nominee, would I vote for her? Potentially. I wouldn't necessarily go green if Michelle Obama was the candidate. However, the problem with Michelle Obama is she's going to do exactly what Obama did. She's going to get in office, run as a progressive. She's going to become the establishment. She will try to work with Republicans, and she's not going to fight them. It's not what we need right now. So, I don't think this is smart. Now, the grand finale of stupidity, uh, the worst person they are floating, and this isn't just Mother Jones. This is CNN. This is others. Guess who they're floating? Tim Kaine. <laughs> they're, flo they're floating the only person who is probably less electable than Hillary Clinton. He was pro-TPP. He voted for Fast Track. He is in bed with Wall Street. He supports disastrous free trade deals. You think that he's going to <laughs> avert another Donald Trump win in 2020? So they state, despite some criticism of his debate performance, the Democrats' 2016 VP candidate is emerging from the campaign relatively unscathed. 
The Virginia senator remains reasonably popular in his home state, where he previously served as governor. He has a quietly impressive progressive record, and until last night, he never lost a race. Uh, so, uh, yeah, needless to say, if you put forth Tim Kaine, I go green. And I, I can't speak for everyone, uh, because I don't know how everyone will feel in four years after having to suffer through a Donald Trump presidency and half of that time at a minimum of a Republican-controlled Congress. But uh, I think that many progressives would vote green as well or just not show up to vote. And if there's anything that we should take away from this election, it's that when voters don't like a candidate and they're just not inspired, they stay home. So the ones that will come out to vote will try to help you with, you know, down-ticket Democrats unless there's a better Green Party candidate. But overall, the base isn't going to come out to support these people. So this is a joke. And by even thinking for a fraction of a second that Tim Kaine could potentially defeat Donald Trump after he was beaten by Donald Trump is a joke. There's a plethora of progressive candidates that can potentially defeat Donald Trump in 2020. One of those individuals, perhaps at the top of my list, is a U.S. senator from, I believe the state is Vermont, that goes by the name of Bernie Sanders. Now, people are going to say, Mike, come on, he's going to be like a thousand years old by then, right? Don't count him out just yet, because Bernie Sanders now has the name recognition to get him through a primary, uh, and if we change the leadership at the DNC, there won't be bias against him, and Bernie Sanders himself is not ruling out a 2020 run. Associated Press explains Bernie Sanders is leaving open the possibility of another presidential bid as shell-shocked liberals focus on helping the Democratic Party rebuild after Donald Trump's victory. Four years is a long time from now, said the 75-year-old Vermont Independent, noting that he faces re-election to the Senate in 2018, but he added, we'll take one thing at a time, but I'm not ruling out anything. So this is what many of us needed to hear, uh, because we don't know who it is that will be the challenger to Donald Trump in 2020. But if anyone can beat Donald Trump in 2020, it's Bernie Sanders. Now, there are other people who could potentially defeat Donald Trump as well. So first, and in no particular order, is Elizabeth Warren. Now, this is a big if. She's no longer at the top of my list, for sure, because what she did during the primary proved to us that she doesn't necessarily have the spine to stand up for what's right. So I don't know that she's going to have the unequivocal support from progressives. Would I personally support her? Yes, I would. But the problem is, I don't know that every other progressive would, because we're still very hurt from what she did to Bernie, or what she didn't do specifically during the primary. She campaign for Hillary Clinton. She ignored Bernie Sanders. It's not acceptable. So I'd say Elizabeth Warren does have a shot, more so than any corporatist Democrat, but her chances are harmed now, and she does have baggage that she didn't have before. Another choice is Tulsi Gabbard. Now, Tulsi Gabbard is someone who is progressive. She's charismatic. I think that she could potentially be a choice uh, that will run. She now has a progressive following. Now, another one is Nina Turner. Now, for me, I stated that I really want Nina Turner to be president, but I was thinking, you know, she's only a state senator. She has to run for governor in Ohio first. No, scrap all of that. What we have to do, if we want to 
be successful is we have to scrap the old way of thinking. Donald Trump won with zero political experience. So gone are the days where you need experience, where you have to, you know, follow the same route as all the other presidents. You have to be a senator and and maybe a governor. No, those days are gone. If Nina Turner wants to run, regardless if you become governor or not, you can run. All you need to do is convince the American people that you're on our side. Nina Turner did that a very long time ago, and she has what it takes to defeat Donald Trump. Now, also, Senator Jeff Merkley from Oregon, he's the only senator with the guts that endorsed Bernie Sanders. And if he decided to run, I think he could win. Now, we have also Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison was one of the first people to come out and endorse Bernie Sanders, and he might actually be the new DNC chair if Bernie Sanders has anything to say about it, but he's someone who is a progressive. He has the entire progressive movement behind him. He could win. Another one, Raul Grijalva. Yes, I'm going to pick another Bernie. Don't think about how charismatic the candidate is. Think about what America is looking for. We're looking for someone who is not the status quo, who's not the norm. Raul Grijalva would be a phenomenal choice to run for president. He may not want to, but I think he's a quirky guy. But most importantly, he has the policies and he's progressive. And that's basically on every single policy issue. I agree with him on quite a bit. So Raul Grijalva, he's an option. Now, finally, this is going to be a really unorthodox choice. Um, Who can potentially threaten Donald Trump? Jill Stein. Now, here's what needs to happen. If Jill Stein does want to have a chance at actually defeating Donald Trump and becoming president, she would have to run in the Democratic Party. Now, I don't think Jill Stein is willing to do that, but if she did actually decide to run for president in the Democratic Party, she could very well have a chance because she already has a gigantic following. You don't have to worry about her being a spoiler. And Jill Stein, I agree with her on 99.9% of the policy issues, so I think that if she were to run, she could win. And she already has these intricate policies that will help us defeat ISIS, that will help us move towards renewable technology. And yes, her goals are very ambitious, and they're going to try to do to her what they did to Bernie Sanders and say, this is all just so unrealistic. But she is someone who could really fire up the Democratic base, and if they're willing to embrace someone that's not from within the Democratic Party, someone from the Green Party, someone who's an independent, then they could have a chance. And we saw that they tried to shit on Bernie Sanders, Democratic Party establishment members, that is, because he was an independent. They said, you're not a true Democrat, so why would you even run in our party? Look, do you want to build a movement? Do you want to win? Do you want the party to grow or not? Because if you shut people out, that's not how you win elections. You need to embrace a large coalition of people who are progressive, regardless if they're independents, regardless if they're Green Party members, regardless if they're Democrats, regardless if they're Republicans. If you're progressives, if you're against corruption, if you're against money in politics, if you want to fight against climate change, embrace progressives regardless of their party party affiliation or lack thereof here's what you should not do do not run anyone associated with hillary clinton anyone that was a cheerleader for hillary clinton kristen gillibrand uh certainly not tim kane anyone who was a cheerleader for hillary clinton with the exception of elizabeth warren i think they're gonna lose badly donald trump would win again now here's the thing that everyone needs to realize in the democratic establishment The era of Clinton Democrats is over. It's done. That's behind you, unless you want to lose again. If you really want to win, then 
you need to step aside and allow real progressives, anti-corporatists, pro-working class progressives to take over the party because these corporatist, centrist, warmongering, you know, Wall Street shills like the Clintons are not going to get you into the White House. It's not going to win you back the Senate and it's not going to win you back the House. Now, there is a caveat to this because even though all of these progressives are great options, this will be a different election in 2020. 2020 is a long ways away and it could be an entirely different era in American politics. And Donald Trump might actually be more difficult to defeat in 2020 than he would have been uh, now. Now, the reason why I say this is because Donald Trump, he could be one of two types of presidents. One is that he could be a disaster. Uh, his own party, establishment Republicans, could work to undermine him. Democrats, if they actually get their act together, they could try to obstruct Donald Trump if they're able to take back the Senate. And that could make him look less efficient. Uh, he could just prove to everyone that he's the blithering idiot that he really is and just be a disaster. He could do things that really are just not acceptable to the American people. If he really does try to ban Muslims from entering or exiting the country, it's going to hurt him, I think. So that's one way that would make Donald Trump more easy to defeat. If he is going to be the way we all think he is going to be and the way we're all expecting him to perform. But here's what I fear now. Donald Trump could potentially be more of a threat in 2020 than he is now because he's given the keys to the White House with not just the House, but the Senate as well. So when he gets in, he could pass anything that he wants to. He has all branches of government on his side. And so even if it's things that are bad, I mean, if he focuses on things like infrastructure spending, if he defeats the TPP and uh, vetoes it, kills it, which he will, that will uh, get progressives on his side and people will just warm up to the thought of Donald Trump and uh, people who were kind of swing voters who were on the fence on who to choose between between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Well, the fact that he is able to pass policies because he has both houses of Congress on his side will give him this veneer of effectiveness and make him look like a really efficient leader. And then when you go into the 2020 election, people will think, well, you know, the thing about Donald Trump is... You know, I, I like the way things are going. Things aren't going as terrible as people predicted. So I'm just going to vote to keep Donald Trump. I don't think we need to change course right now with the Democrat. That's what I fear. And another thing is that this could change if Democrats take back the Senate in 2020 or in 2018. But the problem is that demographics favored them in this election cycle. They don't favor them in the next election cycle. So it's going to be more difficult for them to take back the Senate. And if Donald Trump has the entire Congress behind him for four years, that will make him a very powerful president. And we could see this Reagan effect where he gets in and passes all these policies and he moves not just Republicans to the right, but Democrats to the right as well and just makes him incredibly popular. And if Americans like that, they're going to think, why do I need a Democrat? Why change course? This could be Reagan all over. Now, again, he could be a disaster, but if he's not, if he actually is able to put forth a lot of policies, people could just like the fact that Congress is getting things done and he could be reelected. So Donald Trump may actually be more difficult to beat. However, getting back to the subject at hand, if anyone's going to beat Donald Trump, it has to be a true progressive. Otherwise, we're stuck with him for eight years. Don't put forth a corporatist Democrats, but I'm afraid they haven't learned their lesson yet. 
So now I think is a great time to kind of go back and revisit some of the arguments that were being made by pro-corporate, pro-establishment, pro-Clinton shills in the mainstream media that told Bernie Sanders supporters smugly so that they were stupid for supporting Bernie Sanders and that he could never win. So the Daily Beast, this one's my favorite. Dear Bernie fans, a vote for him is a vote for Donald Trump. Primaries don't elect presidents. They elect candidates who have to beat the other guys. A socialist who wants to raise taxes on everyone cannot beat any Republican, period. Well, how did that work out for you? Because you put forth someone who is historically disliked, who's corrupt, who's corporatist, and she lost to the worst candidate ever. That should have been a cakewalk for her, but she lost. How'd that work out for you? Are you going to apologize to the progressives who you were being condescending to? This one here from the Daily Beast again. Your damn right electability matters to black voters. White affluent voters have the luxury of swooning over quixotic candidates like Sanders and Nader. Black voters don't. We vote for survival. See, she tried to make this about race and privilege when we supported the candidate who generated excitement. Same like Obama. If you can't see that that candidate would be better for Democrats and would generate more enthusiasm, that doesn't come down to privilege or anything like that. It just comes down to common sense. Hillary Clinton was damaged goods. America rejected her in 2008 and we rejected her again. And many people had said, we told you so, only Bernie beats Trump. You didn't listen. You tried to say we were privileged. How's that working out for you now? Uh, we got one from the Washington Post. Does Hillary Clinton even need Bernie Sanders? Uh, and perhaps my second favorite, if not my first favorite, actually, from New Republic. How many young Bernie supporters does Hillary Clinton really need? Not nearly as many as Democrats fear. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's so good. <laughs> this is what you're asking. Let me rephrase it uh, to make it more clear. Hey guys, let me let me reassure you that Hillary Clinton does not need her own base to win. Uh, she can court enough Republicans to make up for the voters that she's going to lose for uh, giving them the cold shoulder. That's your argument. Jesus Christ. You are really dumb. For real. Newsweek says, ignore the Bernie bros, Hillary. She took your advice. She ignored the Bernie bros and uh, anyone who supported Bernie Sanders and progressives and look where it got her. The base did not come out to support her. So, good job. That was great advice. The Daily Beast. Will Bernie Sanders pull a Jeremy Corbyn and let Donald Trump win? The Democratic runner-up essentially endorsed the anger-fueled tantrum behind the Brexit and hasn't made clear how hard he'll work to defeat right-wing populism at home. Another one from the Daily Beast. Bernie Sanders isn't electable, and here's why. It's not really that he's too lefty. It's that once he does come under attack, most Democrats won't go to the mat for him. Unbelievable. The hubris that you guys displayed towards fellow liberals is really disgusting. And, you know, you are the ones who pushed people away and made them stay home by, by telling them that the candidate that really inspired them, that gave them hope for once, was a bad choice. You ended up hurting your own candidate. And she probably never would have won to begin with. She just has too much baggage. She's disliked for a reason, guys. She's corrupt. And we were saying it all along and you didn't listen to us. So I hate to be the one to say I told you so, but we all told you so, actually. All progressives told you so. And this is the way you treated us. This is the way uh, you shot us down. Your smugness is now making you all look like fools. So I will be waiting for an apology. I'll be waiting for an apology for uh, from anyone who tweeted me these articles saying, look at this, see, Hillary doesn't even need Bernie Sanders to win or any of his supporters to win. Well, as it turns out, yeah, you, uh, 
You need your base to win. This is the most obvious statement ever besides water is wet. You need your own base to come out and vote for you if you want to win. And when you see the turnout that Donald Trump was generating in Republican primaries, the writing was on the wall. You needed a beast to beat him. And the only person that was pulling ahead of him outside of the margin of error was Bernie Sanders. And you guys told us we were dumb. We tried to help you. Now, here's what they're saying now. So the Washington Post says Hillary Clinton lost. Bernie Sanders could have won. We chose the wrong candidate. That is the understatement of the century. You chose the wrong candidate. Now, kudos to the Washington Post for even publishing this and admitting their mistakes. But the rest of the corporate media, uh, I don't even care if you apologize, actually. I don't care if you admit your mistakes. You just have to realize where you're wrong. You don't even have to admit it. Don't mess this up for progressives again. Don't mess this up for yourselves again. Don't be arrogant. Don't be smug. Realize that you can't run a historically disliked candidate that turns away her own base and expects to still win. That's not the way any of this works. And quite frankly, I think it's common sense. So you only have yourself to blame for President Donald Trump. You kind of helped to empower these pro-Clinton corporatist Democrats who thought that she was going to have an easy ride to the White House, but that's not the way that democracy works. If you want to win, you have to give voters someone to vote for, not against. And you guys didn't see that. We did. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to share these with you guys because I, I just think they're hilarious. The smugness. All for nothing. So right now, there's a lot of uncertainty about what direction Donald Trump will take the country. You know, my immediate inclination is to think we are going to go in a very, very wrong direction. Um, however, we still don't know. There's so much unpredictability when it comes to Donald Trump. Who knows if he gets in and just turns into a liberal? We have no idea. I think that's probably not going to happen. But again, the level to which we don't know what's going to happen is it's honestly it leaves people with a feeling of uneasiness. So Politico came up with an article that I think gives us a pretty good indication of what he will be doing in his first 100 days. And I also am going to supplement this article with my own idea as to what I think he'll probably pursue. So Politico writes, he will cancel Obama executive actions on immigration and guns. Presidents are free to revoke or modify their own orders or those issued by a predecessor. Trump could revoke President Obama's executive actions as soon as he takes office. Trump has promised to rescind Obama's immigration and gun executive orders, terminating the Deferred Action for Childhood Act, DACA, immediately. Undoing DACA, which deferred deportation and allowed immigrants to apply for work permission, would make undocumented people who arrived in the United States as children subject to deportation. Trump also promised to eliminate deferred action for parents of Americans and lawful permanent residents, or DAPA, an expanded version of DACA proposed by Obama in 2014. That program, which applies to some 5 million people, is on hold due to a Supreme Court deadlock. Trump called Obama's executive order to require background checks on firearms, sold at gun shows, and assault on the Second Amendment, and vowed he would unsign that so fast. He's also promised to ban gun-free zones in schools and on military bases on day one. So you have that to look forward to. Now also, uh, he would announce executive action to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement, but we are going to still be bound by that treaty for four years. Now, I also expect him to withdraw from the Iran deal, and he'll also suspend immigration from, quote, terror-prone countries and implement extreme vetting of Syrian refugees, because apparently, you know, taking two years to vet them isn't extreme enough. So maybe it'll take 10 years. 
I don't know what Donald Trump wants. I don't know what he means by that. But again, we have an extreme vetting program. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. He'll also uh, most likely reject any attempts to revive the TPP. And he stated that he plans on renegotiating NAFTA. And the Canadian prime minister has stated that he is also willing to do this with Trump. Now, according to PolitiFact, he would also impose tariffs. So Trump promised to introduce the End the Offshoring Act within the first 100 days in office by imposing tariffs on goods made abroad. It's unclear how high these tariffs would be. He's previously floated rates between 20 to 45% and where they would apply. Now, also, if he really is going to put forward a really ambitious agenda, as he claimed he would, now would be the time to do it since he has control of both houses. So we can also, with that in mind, uh, expect him to implement tax reform. Trump's tax plan collapses the seven federal income tax brackets into three, reducing the top marginal rate from 39.6% to 33% and lowers the corporate tax rate from 35 to 15%, among other things. So in other words, Donald Trump is going to be a selfish prick and get in office and cut his own taxes. So again, we're going to see another round of trickle-down economics, and once again, it's going to have to blow up in our faces, and I doubt people will see that it doesn't work. So this will lead to income inequality, definitely going to be exacerbated. Uh, this will potentially increase the U.S. deficit because this is what happened when Bush implemented uh, tax cuts for the wealthy. Also, this will ultimately crash the economy in the long run because what you're doing by exacerbating income inequality is you are increasing this gap between the rich and the poor and when you do this when the rich people they just keep accumulating more and more wealth they store that money in bank accounts they don't spend it but when you give money to poor people when you increase their purchasing power they stimulate the economy that benefits everyone because then businesses make more money they start hiring more people as more people get jobs they make more money in the economy it just gets going it's common sense but when you give it to greedy oligarchs all they do is they sit on it. Maybe they'll buy a yacht every couple of years or a mansion here and there, but you're not helping the economy. So again, it's going to blow up in the faces of Republicans. And the problem is that Democrats are probably going to be too spineless or cowardice to illustrate to the American people that trickle-down economics, they don't work. They've been debunked a million and one times, uh, and we're going to do it again. We still haven't learned our lesson. Now, he'll also likely call on Congress to construct a bill that will allow for an increase in spending on infrastructure. This would be a phenomenal thing. Now, what's the last thing that I expect him to do? I expect him to try to accomplish the thing that made him the most popular. I think he's going to try to construct a wall on the southern border. Now, this is one of the dumbest ideas ever. One, because net immigration from, zero, from Mexico is zero. More people are leaving the country than they're coming into it. And furthermore, this is a waste of money because not only would this increase <laughs> the debt and be just ridiculously expensive, but not everyone comes through the United States illegally through the border. Many of them overstay their visas and it expires and then they're therefore illegal immigrants. So the wall is one of the dumbest ideas ever. And I'm someone who's not necessarily a fiscal conservative, but this is just not a good way to spend the money. I think that we can take that money and spend it on healthcare. We can spend it on things to benefit the American people, but because it'll make, you know, little conservatives feel better, uh, they, they'd feel more safe with the wall there, even though it wouldn't do shit, then we have to go through with it. You know, that xenophobia 
is part of what made Trump really an appealing candidate. And right-wing populism is turning people into idiots because all they can do is talk about fear. I mean, Republicans all the time, they talk about how, you know, Democrats and liberals, they're, they're the weenies, right? They're the whiners. No, you guys, are, why do you want to, why do you need a wall? We do not need a wall. When immigration from Mexico is net zero, you don't need a wall. So, I mean, go ahead, explode the deficit and then complain about it later. Uh, you know, we're going to blame this on you. So whatever. Uh, now the question is, how the hell is he going to get Mexico to pay for it? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, even though this is a disaster, we can at least take comfort in knowing that <laughs> we are going to watch probably the most interesting time in American politics ever. So even though we can't even fully comprehend the implications of a Donald Trump presidency just yet, uh, it is the case that we will have some victory. So one of the first promises he made is to fix our broken infrastructure. This is what Bernie Sanders said he wanted to do, and I think that if Donald Trump wants to do this, I'm all for it. Now also, one thing that we don't have to worry about is the Trans-Pacific Partnership thankfully. So according to the Washington Post, the Senate's soon-to-be top Democrat told labor leaders Thursday that the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the trade deal at the center of President Obama's pivot to strengthen ties with key Asian allies, will not be ratified by Congress. That remark from Senator Charles Schumer, who was expected to be the incoming Senate minority leader, came as good news to the AFL-CIO Executive Council, which met Thursday in Washington. Schumer relayed statements that Republican congressional leaders had made to him, according to an aide who confirmed the remarks. So this isn't just a win for progressives. This is a win for the country. However, the reality is that Donald Trump is definitely not a win for the planet. So time explains, just a week ago, environmental activists protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline hoped that a rejection of the project by the federal government would signal a deepened U.S. commitment to slowing the pace of oil and gas drilling. The election of Donald Trump likely erased those hopes while also reviving the fight over the Keystone XL Pipeline rejected by President Obama last year. Trump has not announced a public position on the pipeline, but everything else we know about Trump suggests that he would support continuing the project. Trump has made scrapping environmental regulations a top priority and North Dakota GOP Congressman Kevin Kramer, a key Trump energy advisor, has said that Trump will take particular aim at the Clean Water Act. That is one of the key rules that gives the federal government jurisdiction over the Dakota Access Pipeline. Now, on a similar note uh, with the Clean Water Act, also after Democrats agreed to delay the vote to send aid to Flint, Michigan, we can expect them to not get clean drinking water. And if that happens anywhere else in the country, you can expect that area to not get help as well. And if you know anything about Canadian politics, you'll know that their current prime minister, Justin Trudeau, wants the Keystone XL pipeline to go forward. That's going to happen. Dakota's probably going to happen. Uh, and nothing will be done about the Flint water crisis. Uh, so, you know, you win some and you lose some. To defeat the TPP, I think that this is a step in the right direction, but by allowing the Keystone XL pipeline and the Dakota Access pipeline to go through, this is bad. You know, bad for the planet, bad for clean drinking water, and for him to kind of go on top of that and gut the Clean Drinking Water Act, man, Donald Trump is going to be one disaster of a president. So, I mean, 
after the TBB, everything else besides infrastructure spending is pretty much bad news. So as if you already didn't have enough reasons to love the Green Party's presidential candidate this year, Dr. Jill Stein, she's giving you one more reason to love her because she has one last gift for Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And that is an FAC complaint that she's filing against both of them for illegally coordinating with their super PACs. Quote, Stein's complaint outlined a body of evidence indicating that the Clinton campaign has improperly coordinated activities with super PACs such as Correct the Record, Priorities USA Action, and American Bridge 21st Century, while Trump campaign has improperly coordinated activities with super PACs such as Rebuilding America Now, Make America Number One, and Great America PAC. Super PACs, which were established by the Citizens United versus FEC Supreme Court ruling, are political advocacy groups known as dark money groups because they allow virtually unlimited and unregulated contributions. However, one of the few rules is that political campaigns which have stricter campaign finance regulations and disclosure requirements may not coordinate with super PACs on paid activities. Such coordination would be functionally equivalent to an in-kind donation to the campaign from these dark money groups. In other words, Coordinating with super PACs would allow political campaigns to direct the spending of unlimited amounts of money from undisclosed sources using super PACs as front organizations, completely destroying the pretense that there are any rules for money in politics at all. This is great. <laughs> now, she actually filed this before the election, uh, but this is something that needed to be done. Both candidates were guilty, and Democrats knew that Donald Trump was coordinating illegally with his super PACs, and Republicans knew that Hillary Clinton was illegally coordinating with various super PACs. But they're not going to file an FEC complaint against each other because then they're hypocrites. So we needed an outsider to do it. And that individual was Dr. Jill Stein. And, you know, it's just great. I absolutely cannot tell you how much I adore Dr. Jill Stein because any and everything that she did this election has helped us maintain <laughs> our sanity. So, Thank you so much to Dr. Jill Stein for doing this. It needed to be done. Somebody had to do it. And you were the only one with the courage to stand up to these political cowards that are Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And this is fantastic. I know that nothing is likely to come out of this because the FEC is currently deadlocked and they have been that way for many years. However, just the fact that this is out there shows and maybe will shine a light on the fact that these candidates are violating campaign finance laws, and it's not acceptable. Now, this isn't a new phenomenon. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump aren't the only ones doing this. And, you know, a lot of the times what they'll do is they'll really walk a fine line if they don't directly coordinate. But we know that both of them were directly coordinating. I mean, it wasn't even a gray area. They were just straight up coordinating with their super PACs. And that violates any campaign finance laws we have. It basically makes them completely irrelevant. Not okay. If you want to be the president, you have to follow the laws of the country. Donald Trump says he's the candidate of law and order. Well, put your money where your mouth is. Follow the laws yourself. Hillary Clinton claims that she was, you know, she was taking a moral high ground. You didn't, Hillary. You uh, violated campaign finance laws. Your campaign violated campaign finance laws. Unacceptable. Jill Stein called you out, and I'm glad she did. Again, nothing will come of this, but it needed to be done, and I'm very thankful that Jill Stein did it. So, I wanted to take a moment to just address Dr. Jill Stein directly. So, one, I'm really thankful that the numbers just 
will not add up for uh, Democrats to scapegoat you for Hillary Clinton losing. I'm, I'm very thankful because, you know, the way in which you were slandered and demonized by the corrupt corporatist media, it it's really disheartening. But let me tell you that everything that you did was not in vain. Uh, everything that you did did have a real-world impact. Uh, and your presence in this election was just so meaningful to me. So right after Bernie Sanders endorsed Hillary Clinton and dropped out, I think that was probably one of the darkest times for many of his supporters. And you were there to pick up the pieces after the establishment had crushed our dreams uh, and, and your sanity and the class that you brought to this election, without it, I don't know what place we'd be in, you know, uh, how the morale would be, how much people wouldn't have turned out without you to, you know, and, and you helped Democrats, they should be thanking you. You got many down ticket Democrats elected by giving progressives someone to vote for. And you gave me hope that if there isn't someone within the Democratic Party that's going to represent my interests, I have somewhere to turn, and I don't care if Democrats say that voting for you was a wasted vote. I don't regret my vote for you at all. In fact, I'm proud of it. It was probably one of the best votes I've ever casted because by voting for you, I got to vote for a true progressive, and I've never been able to do that before. So I just really wanted to take a moment of time just to thank you because what you did, it, it wasn't for nothing. You had a tremendous impact. You increased the morale of, pro of progressives everywhere. Uh, and honestly, I feel like, you know, we owe you a lot of gratitude. Um, and what you what you did for progressives was very meaningful to me. So thank you. Well, that's all the stories we have time to get to today. This has been a crazy, crazy week. And I am happy to announce that I have finally got some sleep. I was able to sleep. I slept till 2.30 p.m. So I'm really sorry that this episode was late. Uh, but we're all going to get through this together. We will survive. This election was crazy. And the season finale of this election, it ended very unexpectedly. Or not. You know, it's not honestly too surprising, but it is in many ways. So I'm still shell-shocked, but I'm not entirely surprised. But look, we're going to keep on trucking, guys. The progressive movement will continue going, uh, and the progressive media revolution will continue growing. And if you want to start that revolution, start a YouTube channel. You don't need any equipment. You don't need any money. You don't need any investors. You don't need any corporate sponsors. We need your voice. Uh, and you're not competition to us. The more the merrier. I think if anyone wants to start their own progressive podcast, do it now. You have a lot to talk about, and we would love to hear your voice. Uh, and just let me say this. The Humanist Report, you can expect big things. Many people were questioning, Mike, what's going to happen after the election? Because you focus so much on the election. Expect big things. Uh, so... I am planning on expanding the show in many different ways, and the gears are turning, and I'm more fired up than I've ever been before. So my goal is to expand the show. Stay tuned, because the Humanist Report, we have nowhere to go from here but up. And the progressive movement, we may have lost right now. We, we lost the battle, but we will win the war. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, have a great week.
Hey everyone, uh, so I wanted to do a really quick video uh, just with my initial thoughts on the election. I planned initially to get this out much earlier, but I I literally didn't get a minute of sleep last night. I fell asleep finally at noon today and got about two to three hours uh, on and off of sleep. So I feel like a zombie uh, and I'm going to postpone the new episode of the podcast until tomorrow because initially I was going to get up early, film today. Uh, but I didn't get any sleep, and I figured that I would be a lot more effective as a communicator if I waited until I was a little bit more well-rested, but nonetheless, I still do want to give you my reaction. So my initial thought <laughs> was, wow, this election, what we witnessed was honestly one of the biggest political upsets in American history, if not the biggest political upset in American history. From the very beginning, everyone expected Hillary Clinton to be the inevitable president of the United States. Democratic Party loyalists and Democratic establishment members made jokes about it. Everyone really underestimated the threat that was Donald Trump. And now we have a President Donald Trump. Let that sink in. President Donald Trump. How strange is that? I don't even know what to make of this. President Trump, we not only gave him the keys to the White House, but we gave him the House, we gave him the Senate, and we gave him little institutional checks on his authority. That's scary, but I want you to know that we're all going to be okay. We have to calm down, and if politics is too much for you, I want you to turn off the computer, turn off the television, go for a walk, play video games, because it's not worth uh, affecting your mood. You, you shouldn't allow yourself to become depressed or have anxiety or literally have panic attacks over this election. It's not worth it. And I think that your mental health is more important than anything else. So just take the time that you need. If, if you're really stressed out from this election cycle, then disengage. But know this, we have American political institutions that have existed for centuries, and they are set up specifically to prevent people like Donald Trump from ruining the country. So even though we're going to take several steps backwards when it comes to the economy and social issues, uh, we will rebound from this and we will emerge as, I think, a stronger uh, unit uh, that will give Democrats and Republicans hell if they don't wake up. So that's what I want to say first. So the initial thing that we want to do is figure out who's culpable. Why is it the case that Hillary Clinton was defeated. She was ahead in the polls. Uh, all of the media was effectively on her side. They were carrying water for her. You had uh, comedians basically uh, making jokes at people who were against her. So how the hell did she lose in spite of this advantage, in spite of having the Clinton machine? Here's what I initially thought would happen. I thought that everyone would point at Jill Stein and Gary Johnson and say, I told you so. I fucking told you so. If you vote for third party, you split the liberal votes, and then uh, you hand the election to a Republican. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. We had Gary Johnson, the more conservative third party candidate. He's a libertarian. He pulled in more votes, and he took votes away from Donald Trump. Jill Stein actually got people to come out and vote and possibly help Democrats pick up the seats in the House that they did and gain the Senate seats 
that they did. So if anything, we should be thanking Joe Stein and Gary Johnson right now from keeping Trump from having an even larger blowout. Now, other people will want to blame this on sexism. Well, we just weren't ready for the first female president. No, that's not it. We were. Many of us were. Many of us were. And I think that if you would have had Elizabeth Warren run in the beginning, she would have beat Donald Trump handily. If you would have had uh, any other competent, less corrupt Democratic member run, I think they would have beat Donald Trump handily. I think there are a few Democrats that would have lost to Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton is one of the few. Now, also, James Comey. Should we blame James Comey? There are some articles saying, yeah, James Comey, you know, he made this surprise announcement and it kind of hurt Hillary Clinton. Well, regardless if that is or isn't the case, we have to blame Hillary Clinton for having the private email server to begin with. You can't expect to do things that are suspicious to the American people and not expect there to be consequences. So regardless if James Comey's intentions were in fact to influence the election, we have to blame Hillary Clinton for creating the scandal in the first place. Do you know who James Comey could not reopen an investigation for just 11 days before the election? Bernie Sanders. You guys told us that he wasn't electable. Many articles said, if you vote for Bernie Sanders, you are handing the election to Donald Trump. Yeah? Well, how'd that work out for you? Now another, uh, Russia. WikiLeaks. Should we, blame, should we blame WikiLeaks? No, they're being objective. They are putting information out there for the American people to read to make a more informed choice. Should we blame Bernie Sanders? No. Bernie Sanders, they're lucky. They're so lucky. They should be thanking Bernie Sanders and apologizing to him after they rigged the primary against him. He didn't have to go and endorse Hillary Clinton. He didn't have to act as a surrogate. But knowing how much of a disaster Donald Trump would be, he decided to swallow his pride and do what he didn't want to do and endorse and support Hillary Clinton. So who is it that we can actually blame? If you read my article in the Huffington Post that was published like about a month ago, I said, if Trump wins, blame Clinton. That's who we should blame. Now, don't get me wrong. The Democratic Party establishment and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, they're also culpable. But Hillary Clinton, as a seasoned politician, she should have known better. You can't snub your fucking base. You can't snub your base, Hillary Clinton. You can't literally demonize the supporters of a very popular candidate like Bernie Sanders and call them Bernie bros and put forth a sexist narrative and smear him unfairly and then play the victim and say that he's running a dirty campaign. You can't do that. You can't do that and then rig the primary and collaborate with Debbie Wasserman Schultz to disadvantage Bernie Sanders and uh, create media narratives that would smear him and uh, make it so that way you'd be the more easily electable candidate in the primaries by moving red states forward and having those first and having closed primaries and having superdelegates. You can't do shit like that. And you didn't even try to unify the party. You didn't even try, Hillary. You didn't even try once. You could have selected Elizabeth Warren. We were all angry at her for her silence during the Democratic primary, but you would have swayed a lot more people. You chose Tim, Tim Kaine, the worst possible choice. You then decided to start courting neoconservatives. You're in the liberal party, the so-called liberal party. And rather than trying to reassure us that you're not going to be a warmonger and appease the donors that you have 
within the Amer the military industrial industrial complex. Excuse me, I'm tired. Sorry. You decided to just shoot for the endorsements for every neoconservative scumbag in the country, in the world. Henry Kissinger, John Negroponte. You can't do shit like that, Hillary, if you want to win in the Liberal Party. You can't do that. Also, you thought that you had millennials and Bernie Sanders supporters on lock. You didn't. What did we tell you? We said, I said this, I said, many of us will support Hillary just to defeat Donald Trump, but not all of us will. And I think you're really playing with fire here because a big enough portion will not come out to support you. So it's not that, you know, we, we cast our votes for Jill Stein and that cost you the election. What happened overall is your own base was depressed and didn't come out to support you. You did nothing to turn that around. And at a couple of months before the election, maybe like a month and a half before the election, you saw that one third of millennials are voting third party and all of a sudden you had to do a 180 and stop courting neoconservatives and start trying to actually get millennials to come on board and what do you do? You pander. You get Katy Perry and Lena Dunham to do propaganda for you. As if we are that superficial, as if that would resonate with us more than the actual policy issues and when it did come to the policy issues, you brought out Bernie, you trotted out Bernie Sanders as a prop and plastered free college tuition everywhere. Hillary, we don't believe a single fucking word you're saying. We don't believe a single word you're saying. Had you championed that policy from the beginning of your campaign, we'd believe you. But the only time you start talking about free college tuition was when you realize you're losing with millennials. Again, complete and utterly clueless. And this was just a historically bad campaign. Democrats played with fire and they got burnt. And they made their bed, they lied in it with Hillary Clinton, and now we're all fucked because of them. We all have to deal with a Donald Trump presidency and a Republican Congress and Supreme Court now because of the Democrats and their narcissism and their arrogance and their decision to snub their base because they wanted to fight against the candidate that would work against the interests of their corporate donors. You should be ashamed of yourselves. And you did all of this while claiming to care about women and LGBT people and people of color and undocumented immigrants and Muslims. But you took a gamble with their lives. You took a gamble. You claimed that you cared about them, but yet you ran a shitty campaign. You divided the base and didn't do a single fucking thing to reunify them. That has consequences. Actions have consequences. You lost because you ran a shitty campaign. Bernie Sanders was beating Donald Trump on average by a 10-point margin. A 10-point margin. That's, if you all don't know, that's outside of the margin of error. You were within the margin of error. It could have gone either way. Now, again, I was shocked. I expected Hillary Clinton to pull out a win. I didn't think it would be a landslide. I didn't, especially after the James Comey announcement. I knew that it was going to be relatively close, but I wasn't sure. I thought ultimately Donald Trump would be defeated, but lo and behold, to no one's surprise, fear is not a viable electoral strategy. Here's one thing that I want Democrats to realize, and if you want to be a politician that's successful in America, this is what you have to realize. If you want to win an election, you have to give voters something to vote for. You can't expect to win based on what they're voting against. See, Hillary Clinton and the Democrats and Democratic strategists, so-called strategists, 
said, you know, the ultimate political mobilizer for liberals will be Donald Trump. They will come out in droves to defeat Donald Trump. No, that's not how this works. Give us something to vote for, not against. If we're not inspired, we just stay home. We just stay home. That's it. We stay home. Many demographics stayed home. Many demographics who came out to support Obama in 2008 and 2012 stayed home because they weren't inspired by Hillary Clinton. She thought that she had every single core demographic of the Democratic Party on lock. African Americans, Latinos. You didn't, Hillary. You didn't. And your hubris cost you this election. The hubris and the arrogance of the Democratic Party cost them the election. Yes, Republicans are crazy, but simply being less shitty, simply being the lesser of two evils will not make you electorally successful. Get that through your thick skull. As someone who is one of Hillary Clinton's biggest critics on the left, I want to say this. Hillary, if you would have actually tried to really tune into voters and not just pursue the office because of your own narcissism, you could have had a chance. What we saw today with your concession speech was the Hillary Clinton that we saw in the 1990s. We saw the Hillary Clinton for a snapshot of a second who tried to fight for universal health care. We saw the Hillary Clinton who was just genuine and said, look, this is going to take me a long time to get over it. Your campaign slogan was, I'm with her. I want you to be with us, Hillary Clinton, because you're an elite. You don't need people to be with you. You're going to be fine. You have millions of dollars. You have hundreds of millions of dollars. You're going to be okay. It's the American people who are the ones that need to know that you're with us. So your campaign slogan, if anything, should have been, I'm with you. And furthermore, before that, it was, well, I'm ready for Hillary. That's what people were saying. I'm ready for Hillary. That's not the way this works, okay? I, I legitimately do feel bad for Hillary Clinton. As someone who, again, who's her biggest critic on the left, I feel bad just on a human level because she really wanted this. This is something that she dedicated every single day of her life fighting for, to build up her resume for, for the last 15 years, maybe two decades. She did everything she could to possibly prepare but what she doesn't realize is that you're not entitled to that position. So it doesn't matter how much you prepared. And if you were secretary of state and a senator, if the American people don't feel as though you're going to fight for them, they're not going to support you. So this isn't, you know, we don't live in a monarchy where we just appoint people with popular last names, such as Clinton or Bush, to the office of the presidency. We don't do that. So if you really want to be in the White House, you have to earn it. And you don't earn that by building your resume and, you know, being someone who is an establishment insider. You do that by convincing the American people that you're with them and your record shows us that you're not with them. Now, that's not to detract from the good things that you have done in your career, but by and large, Hillary, you changed after you became first lady. The minute you became a senator, some things that you were in favor of uh, stopping, like the bankruptcy bill, you flipped and you supported once you started taking corporate money. You showed us that you were corruptible and that's not acceptable. We don't want that, okay? Obama betrayed us when he got in office and proved to us that he was corruptible. We didn't look at his campaign contributors. We did that this time. We're not making that mistake ever again. We did that with you, Hillary Clinton, and realized, well, <laughs> you're not with us. You're not with us. You're with your donors. And we know you're going to get in office and do the bidding of your donors. Now... On just a personal note, I wish nothing but good things for Hillary Clinton. I hope that she can take this time to recover. I hope that she looks out for herself and takes time off 
and just spends time with their family, spends time with their grandchildren, and just can relax. You're going to be okay. You have millions of dollars, okay? And I get that this was a defeat. I get that it hurts. I get that. But because of your arrogance, we all are now going to suffer. And again, I should have no sympathy for Hillary Clinton after what she did, after the way she conducted herself, after the way she colluded with the DNC to rig the primary against Bernie Sanders. I should have no sympathy, but I do. I feel for humans, even though she is a multimillionaire, even though she's an oligarch, she is a human being, and I do feel bad for her, just on a personal level. Now, the conclusion is that uh, Democrats, if you want to play with fire, you're going to get burnt. We told you Bernie Sanders was the more electable candidate, and you basically laughed in our face. You reap what you sow. My goal going forward is to strive for objectivity. If Donald Trump does bad shit and he's going to do a lot of bad things, I'm calling him out. If Donald Trump does good things, then I'm going to commend him for it. I'm going to commend him for it. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to strive for objectivity if we really do want to be closer to the truth. So my goal is to cover Donald Trump objectively. So in the end, what's the main takeaway? Well, I'll get to my post-mortem analysis. Um, I'll try to have that up tomorrow. Throughout the week, I'll be posting segments about this election and what went wrong. Uh, and I think that if you've been watching The Humanist Report, my analysis will not really be much different. Uh, if you run a shitty campaign, there's going to be consequences for that. And unfortunately, it's not consequences that the, the, the Democratic Party elites are going to have to feel. The American people are going to be the ones uh, that have to feel it. So that's all I have to say. I want everyone, again... To it, if it becomes too stressful, just disengage from politics. But just know that Donald Trump, you know, he's the worst case scenario. We're certainly living in the darkest timeline imaginable. Uh, but Donald Trump tapped into this anti-establishment anger that Democrats were oblivious to. They saw Bernie Sanders and laughed at him. He would have won handily. Bernie Sanders would have won handily. And that's the overall takeaway. But, uh, you know, it's not just about racism. Sure, Donald Trump has a lot of racists and, you know, Ku Klux Klan members supporting him. Yes. But, I mean, what we saw yesterday was a brick being thrown through the establishment's window. Their time is up. And if Democrats want to be corporatists, then that will determine whether or not we're going to have Trump for four or eight years. So, Democrats, get your fucking shit together. This is your fault. Own it and apologize. And cleanse the DNC of any corrupt idiot that ruined this election and uh, helped Donald Trump become elected. Because you guys, you blamed us for helping Donald Trump by voting for Bernie or Jill Stein. No. Thank yourself. You have nobody but yourself to blame and thank for that. So congratulations, Democrats. Because, uh, I mean, again, this is your fault. So, uh, 